Good evening. Good to be with you once again this evening. And as we were singing that song, boy, that brought back a lot of memories. That was kind of our theme song uh, 10 years ago when we first came from the States to Scotland and uh, this new journey into the vast unknown. (laughs) And there are many times when God really did make a way uh, where there seemed to be no way. And so that was really encouraging to sing that again tonight. How are you tonight? Good. (laughs) Blessed and highly favored. Amen. Good to hear it. We're looking at the life of Joseph again this evening. So if you turn your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 39. As we did this morning, we want to read uh, an entire chapter, and tonight it'll be chapter 39, just to get a feel for what uh, aspect of Joseph's life we'll be looking at tonight. So, Genesis chapter 9, and we want to begin reading at verse number 39. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She called him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, This Hebrew has been brought to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought to us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. 
The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Before we look at this, let's just pause for a moment and acknowledge the Lord in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be gathered once again and thank you for all that we've experienced thus far. Thank you for the songs that have ministered to our hearts and we pray to God that our worship has been acceptable in your sight. And now as we turn our attention to your word, we want to thank you for being with us. And Father, I want to acknowledge right at the beginning how much I need you. I need you to strengthen my mind and my body and my voice and help me, dear God, to declare the truth of your word in a very clear and understandable way. I pray also, dear God, for those who are under the sound of my voice, that you prepare their hearts, not so much to hear me speaking, but you speaking through me. So God, take the words that I would speak and anoint them and use them to minister to the hearts and minds of everyone here. Father, help us to, to really know what it is that this text is saying to us tonight and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My subject this evening is redefining success. What does it mean to be successful? Do you consider yourself to be a success? Often people reach an age, we know it as the midlife crisis, when they began to realize that half of their life is over and they began to reassess their achievements in terms of their dreams. And at this stage in life, many people feel that they have not achieved the success that they thought they would have by now. Many people leave school or university with these great plans and then later on in life they began to reevaluate how life has gone and it may begin to feel like that their life hasn't been a success. Instead it's been a big disappointment. The desire for success doesn't just affect middle-aged people. Even young people can be obsessed with success. They desperately want to achieve the type of success they see portrayed in popular culture. And this causes many people to have this just um, very passionate pursuit of status symbols. Things like fancy cars, clothes, jewelry, homes. All of these things that just say, I'm successful. They've got to drive a BMW or a Mercedes. Or they've got to have a really big ring, or ring on their finger, a lot of gold around their neck. Or a certain type of home, or wear a certain type of clothes, or carry a certain type of bag. All of these things are ways to say that I'm successful. The world's definition of success, though, is very different from God's. The world's definition of success is largely tied to a person's career. A career that brings significant monetary rewards and or recognition is seen as successful. But God's standard of what it means to be successful in life is very different. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus taught that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And even were in, any, in other words, success is not based on the amount of material possessions you acquire or the amount of recognition that you have. So if the world's definition of success is the size of your bank account, the car you drive, the home you live in, or the vacations you can take, or the clothes you wear, and Jesus says that that's not what's really successful. A man's life does not consist in just what he possesses, it's something else. Then let us think about what exactly is success. What does it mean to be successful? And that's why I felt led by God to turn our attention to the life of Joseph. Because in his life we can find something about what it really means to be successful in this world. 
Now we talk about the life of Joseph. Joseph grew up the favorite son of a fairly wealthy man. His future looked bright. However, at the age of 17, his jealous brother sold him into slavery in Egypt. And then he was in turn sold to Potiphar, the captain of the guard in Pharaoh's army. And this is the beginning of a dark period in Joseph's life. But there's something quite interesting that as I read this, it just really stood out to me. Look at verse number two in our text. It says, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And if you look at verse number three, it says, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. While a slave in Egypt, in Potiphar's house, the scripture describes that period of Joseph's life as one of success and one in which he prospered. Now, when you look at the whole of Joseph's life, we tend to think of someone who started off well. The favorite son of a well-off man, comfortable life, a great future ahead of him. Then he went through a period of really bad misfortune. He was betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery. But then in the end, it all turns around for him and he becomes the governor over all of Egypt. Second in command and he goes on to live a prosperous and successful life. We tend to think of the 13 years he spent as a slave as the dark period. The period when he didn't enjoy much success and the period before and the period after as the really prosperous period in his life. However, the Bible says that Joseph prospered and succeeded while he was a slave in Potiphar's house and also a prisoner in jail. By the world standard, those 13 years weren't prosperous or successful. But the Bible says that they were. Let me just put it this way to you. Can you imagine someone you know being arrested for a crime they didn't commit at the age of 17, being incarcerated in prison, spending 13 years in prison, and then getting out when they're 30. And can you imagine describing that period of 13 years as a period of success and a period when they prospered? No, we would think of once they got out, they could go on to be successful or prosper, but not while they were in that situation. But yet the scripture says that Joseph prospered while he was a slave and while he was a prisoner. I find that quite striking. What was it about that period? What was it about his life that would cause the, gospel, the scripture writers to clarify, uh, classify it as successful? Well, here's some things about Joseph's life that we can look at. The first is this. Joseph was successful and prosperous because God was with him. We looked at verse number two, where it talks about how that he prospered. Verse number three, that he had success in whatever he did. Verse number 21, again, it talks about how the, the Lord was with him and he was granted favor. And then verse number 23, that God gave him success in whatever he did. Joseph was successful because God was with him through this whole period. He prospered not only naturally, but spiritually as well. That's the big key of why he was considered successful. The second thing is, Joseph was prosperous because God gave him favor with people in authority. It really started with his own father, being the favorite son of his dad, of the 12 sons that he had. But also, he was favored by God in that he was bought by Potiphar. This wasn't just something that just happened, but it was actually a divine act of God. And then in verse 4, we learn that as Joseph worked, his favor with Potiphar increased more and more. In verse 21, Joseph is in prison, but God gives him favor with the warden. And then in verse number 38, 
when jo- excuse me, chapter 40 and verse number 38, when Joseph appears before Pharaoh, God gives him favor with him. Joseph was successful and prosperous in that 13 years as a prisoner and as a slave because God gave him favor with people in authority. Another aspect of Joseph's success is that he was given greater responsibility. Several times Joseph is promoted. When he's a slave in Potiphar's house, he's promoted to be all over his household. In prison, he's put over to prison, so he's promoted as well. And then eventually he goes before Pharaoh and he's promoted and put over the whole land of Egypt. Each of these individuals had complete trust in Joseph. You could say of Joseph that it was hard to keep a good man down. He prospered and had success because he was given greater responsibility throughout his life. Another aspect of Joseph's success is that he made the most of his opportunities. Now as a slave, his opportunities were limited. But he maximized his potential in whatever situation he found himself in. Verse 3, it says, Joseph had success in everything he did. What that means is he fulfilled the task he was assigned to do with excellence. Joseph had learned to be faithful in the little things, and God made him one day ruler over many. And then lastly, Joseph was successful because others benefited from God's favor on his life. In verse number 5, it says that God blessed Potiphar's house because of Joseph. Potiphar benefited because of the blessing on Joseph's life. You know, I've often wondered what happened in Potiphar's house after Joseph left. I wonder if in the years that followed, he began to think, you know what, I made a big mistake because my house isn't being run as well. Things aren't going as well now that I've gotten rid of Joseph. But others benefited from God's favor on his life. Potiphar is an example of that. And then in verse number 23, the prison warden benefited from Joseph's life as well. Because he was able to just turn everything over to Joseph and let him run it, which was a blessing to him. Then later, when, he, when Joseph is called before Pharaoh, the whole of Egypt was blessed by Joseph. Joseph was able to come up with this plan to help them to survive these seven years of famine. During the seven years of plenty, they put one-fifth of all of the the substance of Egypt in the storage so that during the years of famine, it would be there. So Joseph blessed all of Egypt. And then ultimately, the whole region was blessed because of Joseph. In chapter 41, it talks about how people from nations all around, including his own brothers from Canaan, came to Egypt to buy food because there was no other food to be had in the whole region. So Joseph was successful. Because other people benefited from his life. Well, when we look at Joseph's life, we can see that true success isn't about career or about money or about recognition. Joseph had none of those things. He didn't have a successful career during those 13 years when he was a prisoner and a slave. He didn't have any money or any recognition. But yet he was still successful because true success is fulfilling God's purpose for your life. And as we looked at this morning, Joseph realized that it wasn't his brothers who had sent him to Egypt, that God sent him there. That was part of God's divine plan. I think this can be beneficial to all of us. And it has definitely been a a tremendous blessing in my own life, personally. As I studied this passage, I was encouraged by it. My wife and I right now are in a process of kind of transition in ministry. Uh, We used to be the senior pastor of the Church of the Nazarene in Perth. 
And um, now I'm doing itinerant ministry, which means I just preach from church to church on Sundays and occasionally ministry throughout the week. Well, when I was the pastor of the Nazarene Church in Perth, we lived in a five-bedroom, three-and-a-half-bath manse. Had a nice car that was provided by the church. I also had uh, the privilege of passing the church to Brian Suter and Ann Glogatin, and that brought certain recognition. On more than one occasion, I've gotten a phone call, and it's been a reporter at the other end of the phone asking me for a quote or asking me something about them because they're writing a story on them. You know, there are also times when people would call me and they want to take me out to lunch or for coffee, and I'd say, oh, yeah, you know, sure, I'd love to meet you. And then when I would get out with them, I'd realize it really wasn't me they wanted to talk to, it was Brian. <laughs> but they thought maybe if they meet his pastor, I could kind of ease the way and make an introduction to him. But that was okay. I got a free coffee or a nice meal out of it. <laughs> but now nobody calls. No reporters call the house looking for quotes. You know, we don't live in a big five-bedroom, three-and-a-half-bath manse. Now we live in a two-bedroom flat behind Asda. Thank God for it. It's nice enough. There's a lot of things of a material nature aren't the way that they used to be. Not only that, I'm 47 years old now. And I can remember when I was a young man starting out in work at the age of 21. You know, if you had said, well, you know, where would I be at the age of 47 materially? I would have thought I was going to be living in a half-a-million-dollar home several cars, vacation wherever I wanted to. You know, I started a business when I was 25 years old and I thought that this business was, I was going to do it for the rest of my life. It's going to get bigger and bigger. My ambition was to have the largest painting decorating company in Chicago. And for Chicago, you've got to really be pretty big to be the largest. So that, those were the plans and ambitions. It would be easy for me to sit back now and say, none of those things have worked out. You know, we're not financially well off and rich and all the rest of that. So does that mean then that my life or even my ministry, since I'm not passionate at the moment, does that mean that it's not successful? Well, what I've learned in from Joseph is that that's not true. That even in what I might be tempted to classify as a downtime for us, you know, this is kind of the valley, the dark period. And then one day we're going to come out of this and we're going to be back up on top again. And God said to me, no, that's not how it works. You can be successful. You can prosper right where you are doing exactly what you're doing now. It's not about the house you live in or the car you drive or the size of your ministry. If you're pastor of a church of 200 people and there are prominent people in your church, all of that, none of that matters. It's about are you doing with your life what God intended for you to do. And that can be a real encouragement not only to myself but to all of us. Don't let the world cause you to feel that you're a failure or that your life isn't successful because it's not based on their standard. That you don't have the kind of bank account the world says you need to have to be successful or the type of career or the recognition. God has a very different standard of what it means to succeed. So let's look at what are some of the things that constitute success in God's eye. And we want to make sure we're measuring up to that and not to the world standard. Well, here's one thing. The first thing is develop a relationship with God. This was the true source of Joseph's success. That no matter what he, where he was and what was going on in his life, God was with him. If you are a born-again believer and the Holy Spirit resides within you, you have far more success than many people out there in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It is better to be a servant of God. It's better to be saved and living for him than be dwelling in a mansion somewhere and lost and on your way to hell. Amen?
Real success is having a relationship with God. And that means that we need to keep God in our plans and ambitions and make sure that he is always the number one priority in our life. Speaking of this, this notion that it's not about material things, but it's about the relationship with God that's most important. Mark eight thirty six says that. It says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his only soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, in the news lately, there's been, um, they've been talking about this actor who died at the age of 51 over in Italy. He had a heart attack, and he's very well known. Probably many people here know him as well from some of the movies he's been in and things he's done. No doubt he was very, he's very uh, famous. No doubt he's very rich. But if he didn't have a relationship with God, he's going to stand before God in the judgment. I'm not casting any judgment on him because I don't know his life. But if he didn't have a relationship with God, all of his fame, all of his fortune is not going to matter at all. That success won't count in eternity. Only the things that we do for Christ will last. So that's where real success begins. But you know what that teaches us as well as believers? How many of us have allowed ourselves to be influenced by the world's thinking? So that although we are forgiven of our sins, have relationship with God through Jesus Christ, are on our way to heaven, and yet we feel deprived. We feel like we've missed out on something. We don't treasure it like the way that we should. We don't, we don't treat it like, listen, I don't care about anything else in this world. I have Jesus. There's a song that talks about, um, take the world, but give me Jesus. Is that your attitude tonight? Do you really treasure it and feel like as long as I have a relationship with God, I have everything? Or do you sometimes feel like the non-Christian person who has money and fame and can do all the things they want to do that you wish you had their life? Because they've got all of that stuff. Or do you say, no, I'd rather have what I have because what I have is more valuable than what they have. That's, what, that's the attitude we must have. If you have God, you have everything. Joseph understood this. The source of his success was his relationship with God, and it must be ours as well. When we have a relationship with God, we can prosper truly, not just materially, but spiritually, emotionally, physically, everything. This is what God wants for us. So here's the second point. Live your life as an act of worship to God. Joseph was successful because he was exactly where God wanted him to be, doing what God wanted him to do. It wasn't by accident or happenstance that he ended up being sold into Egypt and then sent to prison. All of that was part of God's plan. So Joseph realized that no matter where I am in my life, if I lose my job, you know, if I'm made redundant, you know, if I you know, become a widow, if people you know, denounce me or reject me, Whatever happens in my life, as long as I have God with me and I'm where he wants me to be, doing what he wants me to do, then I'm successful. That was the real source. That, again, that was another source of Joseph's success. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. So, if you're a school teacher, you're not likely to ever get rich doing that. But if you treat that as I'm doing what God put me on this earth to do and I'm not working for the council or whoever it is or the, how, uh, the, the academic system, I'm working for God. This is my ministry to him. This is what he wants me to do with my life. That's real success. Real success is doing exactly what God puts you on this earth to do.
So whatever your life's work is, make it about pleasing and honoring God. God has a purpose and a plan for all of us. You know, and some people spend a whole lifetime trying to discover that. Uh, and then others discover it early in life. But when you know what it is that God wants you to do, whether it be something significant that brings a lot of recognition or something that doesn't bring much notice, just give it your all and please God with it and you're successful. You know, a woman who decides to give up her career and stay at home and raise her children, be a full-time housewife and mother, she won't get much recognition on the world stage. People aren't going to give her, you know, accolades for that or say she was really successful. But if that's the calling she feels in her life and she pours her heart and her soul into her children and to her family and make the best home she can, when she leaves this earth and stands before God, he will be pleased with her. If she has a relationship with him as well. If she just does that as a ministry to God, then it doesn't matter if she never made much money in this world or much recognition. Just spend your life doing what God wants you to do. The real challenge for us, though, is that we can allow ourselves again to be influenced by the world's view and judge success by what others have accomplished. You know, we look at what they have and say, wow, compared to them, I'm not doing so good. Or, you know, wow, I, I, I graduated with that person and look, look how, how much success they've had and I don't have that. Don't judge other, by other people. Just be the best you you can be. You know, if, if, if your job is to be a bin man, then do that with all of your gusto. Do that as a service to God. Understand this is what God wants you to do with your life and that's successful. Be pleased in it. If you're a teacher or a doctor or a fireman or a lawyer, whatever it is you do, do it unto the Lord. And if you're doing what he wants you to do, then you'll be successful. Here's another key to being successful in our lives. Live your life to bless others. Not only do we want to develop a relationship with God, make sure if you don't have God in your life, you're not successful no matter how much money you have or what you have in terms of material possessions. Live your life as an act of worship to God. Don't just look at worship as what you do on a Sunday in church like we just did a moment ago. But every moment of every day, everything you do is an act of worship to God. But then live your life to bless others. I love how the whole region was blessed by Joseph. <laughs> Not just himself or his family, but nations all around. How much is your life blessing other people? Judge your success, not by how much your life has improved, but how much your life has helped to improve the lives of others. If you've done well for yourself, are there other people who have done well because of you? It's not enough just for us to do for ourselves. We need to make sure that we are helping others as Joseph did. If your main goal in life is to acquire as much stuff as you can, it reveals a real poverty of ambition. You understand what I mean? That if somebody, their number one ambition is, I just want to get as much stuff as I can. Much money, cars, clothes, jewelry, fancy vacations. That's, that's, my, that's all I want in life. I mean, that's no ambition at all. Real ambition is to say, I want to help as many people as I can. I want to be a blessing to as many other lives as I can. I want to use whatever resources God has given me to be a blessing to other people and to improve their lives. A life of service is the best life there is. That's a truly successful life. I thought of it this way. <clears throat> we none of us like to think about death, but let me just take you there for a moment. If when you die, the only people 
who were allowed to come to your service were people whose lives you had touched, how many people would show up? That's the only people that could come. Nobody could come except the people whose lives you had touched, who you had enriched in some way. How many people would show up? We want to make sure we're living our lives in such a way that it's not just about me. Not just about me and mine even. Me and my family. But am I sowing seeds into the lives of other people that will live long after I'm gone? That's a really successful life. But if a person's whole success is just about what they own, that's no success at all. Because they're going to leave every bit of it behind. How many lives have you blessed? When you bless others, your influence will outlast you. A great example of this in my life was my own dad. My father died suddenly at the age of 48 uh, many years ago now. And I hadn't really appreciated I loved him and I appreciated him as a dad. But I hadn't really appreciated the impact he had on other lives until he passed away. And it was in the weeks and months and now even years since he's been gone. When others have testified about the influence Brother Starks had on their life. That I've come to really understand what my dad's life was about. The day my dad died, I doubt he had $1,000 in the bank. You know, he was uh, working for me in the painting company, as a matter of fact. He kind of starting a second career because uh, he had given up his job uh, driving the buses in Chicago. And just from a material point of view, he didn't really have very much. But what he had was a heart for God and a love for other people. And the sermons he preached and the Bible studies he did and the lives he tried to touch... I realized then, after his death, that that was what was really important. And uh, we all want to have that testimony as well, that you have touched other people's lives. I came um, this summer when we were home in Chicago. Our oldest daughter, Brandy, began working for a church in Chicago. It's a Salvation Army church called the Croc Center. And I brought some pictures here I want to just show you of uh, what it looks like. Oh, I didn't bring them <laughs> What happened to those? Okay, I'm sorry. I, th I forgot to put them into the slide. But there, there's a, a huge church um, in Chicago that she works for. How many of you guys know the name Ray and Joan Kroc? Anybody know that name? Yeah. Well, Bill, don't raise your hands. I think I told you this story. <laughs> but uh, Ray and Joan Kroc, they're the founders of McDonald's. They founded McDonald's in Chicago back in the 1950s. And now, of course, we all know McDonald's is a billion-dollar corporation. Well, both Ray and Joan are deceased now. But when they died, they left the Salvation Army $2 billion to build 30 churches throughout the United States. And our daughter, who lives in Chicago, she works in one of these churches. And it's a huge facility. If you have a chance, go on the Internet and just Google Croc Center, Chicago. Uh, K-R-O-C and you'll see it. It's got an indoor water slide, uh, basketball courts, a full gym, you know, all kind of, it's just, it's just fantastic. It costs $30 million to build this one and they're going to build 29 other ones throughout Chicago. And I thought about how fantastic it was that this couple had been blessed to accumulate enormous wealth and when they left this earth, they left $2 billion to a Christian organization to build churches as community centers throughout the United States. That's a great legacy. 
You know, that they would not just take that money and just give it to their family or use it for some other cause or do like some people do, leave $2 billion to the cat house or something or, or whatever, but something that would really make a difference in people's lives. Now, you and I may never have an opportunity to do something quite on that level, but wouldn't it be fantastic to leave some kind of legacy behind, even if not just monetarily, but through your efforts and your work and the seeds you've sown into other lives that would be a blessing to people for generations to come? Maybe someone that you lead to the Lord will then go on to lead many other people to the Lord. Or maybe you'll work in this church in such a way that your influence and, and your efforts and stuff will just outlive you and be a blessing in this community long after you're gone. That's what real success is. Several years ago, a good friend of mine from Chicago came over to visit. And it was his first time here. And we went into the local Tesco so he could buy some things, you know, went to the shop. And a funny experience happened because when we got up to the register there, the till, you know, the lady told him how much his food was, and he pulled out American dollars to begin to pay for it. And she looked at him like, you know, I can't take that. He said, oh, you don't, you don't take dollars here? And I was like, no, man, here, I'll pay for it, and you just, you know, give me some money when you exchange your money. But his American dollars were no value here. You know, you can't buy anything with them. You have to go and get them changed into British pounds. Well, it's the same with natural success and spiritual success. There's going to be a lot of people who've accumulated great success in this world. that get some, a lot of doors open for them in this world. Get them recognized and respected. But they're going to get before God and realize that that currency is no good in heaven. The fancy house, you know, the fancy car, the bank account. None of that's going to matter. God's going to say, what did you do for my children? What did you do for me in that world, this world? How did you advance the gospel? And they're going to say, but I built a big company. Well, that means nothing in eternity. Or I was really famous. I was a big actor or singer. That means nothing in heaven, in eternity. What really matters in eternity is the things that we do for God. The relationship we have with Him. The way we live our lives for Him. And the way we bless other lives. So... Talking about redefining success based on God's standard, are you successful? Do you have a relationship with Him? Do you live your life as an act of worship to Him? And are you doing your absolute best to bless other people with your life day by day? Ultimately, all of us, we want to leave this world with this, hearing these words. You know, I, I think about what heaven might be like and... I can only speculate. The Bible doesn't give us details on it. But I do imagine that one day we'll stand, because the Bible says this, one day we'll stand before God in the judgment. And what I want to hear him say is, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Amen. If we get to hear those words, then we have been successful. <laughs> We've done what we needed to do. And it doesn't matter what you do in this world. If you get to the end and he says, Depart from me. You workers of iniquity, I never knew you. You're going to wish that you had turned your life over to God and used it to bless Him and bless others. Amen. Well, since this is, a, this is supposed to be a Bible study and not a preaching sermon, I always on Sunday nights just like to give people a chance to ask questions or make comments. Um, any questions or comments about what I've had to share tonight? Has it helped you to see what it means to be successful in a different light?
Yeah, so maybe you go home and you look at your bank account and you start to feel bad, but remember, that's not true success. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the things that you're storing up in heaven that makes the difference. Amen. Well, let me just close out with the word of prayer and then I hand it back over to you, Grandma, if that's okay. Okay, let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for Joseph's life and the encouragement that we get from it. Father, I just thank you that how you've just has have revealed that to us, that Joseph was successful and he prospered even in what we would call a very difficult situation. Help us to have that kind of success. Success that doesn't change based on our circumstances or our surroundings or what's happening in our life, but success that's based on our relationship with you, how we live our lives, and how we bless others. Father, I pray for everyone who is here that we'll take this word away from us and really meditate on it and uh, begin to think about our own life and are we measuring up to your view of success and are we doing the things that please you. Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray something's been said tonight that will really cause them to turn their heart to you before it's too late. Father, help those of us who are believers to really celebrate and appreciate the wonderful privilege we have of living in relationship with you. Help us never to feel like somehow we're deprived or we're missing out on something. Or we don't have all that we should have because we don't have the world's goods or the world's view of success. Father, help us to honor our relationship with you and know that's what really counts. So, Father, just bless, bless you and thank you for our time here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.